Let it rain. I wish I could sing on tune and on point, but I can't. Open the floodgates of heaven. And then it says what? Let it. Come on, hold me out. Don't, don't leave me out here looking like a fool. And you know, as I was worshiping, Tito came up to me and says, I have a word. And I said, praise God, because my heart was stirring with what the Lord wanted to share. And I thank Tito for being obedient. And I truly believe that what Tito shared today was the word of the Lord for his people. And I thank you, Tito, for that. And, you know, I was thinking about worship in worship about that song. And I started to think about Noah. And I started to think about him building the, the boat. And then I started thinking about people just mocking him and making fun of him because Noah was making a boat during a time that had never rained before. And when people were asking him, why are you building a boat? He said, because it's going to rain. And they're like, what the heck is rain? I don't know. God just said something's going to fall from the heavens, something like water, and it's called rain, and it's going to happen. <laughs> and as he began to build his boat, when it was accomplished and it was finished and complete, it rained. The floodgates of heaven opened and it rained. And you know what happens a lot of times when people study and read the book of Noah, I mean read the story of Noah, and they start studying the flood? They start looking at it as a bad thing. They start looking at the flood as, ooh, don't make me call down rain on you. Actually, yeah, call down rain on us. You got to remember what happened with that rain. That rain came, and what did it do? It destroyed everything that was wicked. And it started anew everything from a fresh start. And that's what God wants to do with his children. We've been speaking about deliverance. And what is deliverance? Rain that, are being, that the floodgates of heaven are opening, rain falling upon you so that what? So that all form of wickedness can be destroyed in your life. So a new creation, a new person could begin to live in the fullness of Jesus Christ. But now watch this. How am I ever going to live in the fullness of Christ if I'm scared for the reins of God to fall on my life? Why? Because the reins of God is going to drown evil in your life. You see, when God reigns, takes me back to the prophet when the Water started flowing out of the temple. And he says it got up to his ankles, then up to his knees, and then up to his waist, and then up to his shoulders, then up to his head. And it began to overflow from the temple, from the house of God. The reign of God began to fill the man of God. So that the man of God could deliver the message of the glory of the God that he serves. And today... I'm here to tell you today to let it rain in your life. Let it destroy every form of wickedness, every stronghold, every weakness, every area in your life that you can't find yourself. Because we can't continue to preach on deliverance for another two years. we got to end this series sometime. So get delivered now, today. Stop waiting for the next service. We're going to talk about a different topic. Get delivered now in Jesus Christ. How do I do it? Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven, let it rain, let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven, let it rain. You've got to mean that from 
your belly. You gotta mean that deep from inside of your heart. You gotta really mean, Lord, let it rain because I'm tired of the drugs. I'm tired of the sex. I'm tired of the hatred. I'm tired of the jealousy. I'm tired of the bickering. I'm tired of the complaining. Let it rain. Let it rain. Let it rain. Let it rain. Why? So that I will never be the same again. Because when the waters of God touch you, man, you'll never be the same again. Listen, the waters of church, the waters of religion, and the waters of man will touch you, but you'll always go back to who you were. But when the waters of God that flow from the presence of God touch you, then it's real. Then there's change. Not because someone motivated you, not because someone gave you a high five and a pat on the back, but because the reign of God touched your life. We've been talking about 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. And I want to go back to that verse as we break down today's sermon. And here he is speaking. And you can remember this um, verse. <clears throat> he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, remember this verse? We read it about three weeks ago. The love of the Father is not in him. Remember we talked about the globe and the world? And if you love the things in that world, then God's love is not inside of you. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, let's say them together. Number one, the lust of the flesh. That's in the world, lust of the flesh. We took care of that, didn't we? I hope we did two weeks ago. I hope you took care of the lust of your flesh. Number two, this is what's in the world, church. Number two, the lust of the what? Eyes. I hope we took care of that last week. I hope we tore that down and we left it on the altar, forgot to what? What happened to Elijah? He built up an altar against the prophets of Baal so that when the fire of God would fall, it would what? Lick up and consume the offering. What does that mean? That it's no longer in you. God took it for you. That's why Elijah built the altar against the prophets of Baal. So number two, say it with me. The lust. Say it with me. Oh, the eyes. And then church, he says in the, number, the third one, this is what's in the world. Number three. What is it, church? Say it nice and loud. The pride of life. And then he says, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. What is of the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Those three things are not from God. They're from the world. And the world, guess what's happening to the world, ladies and gentlemen? It's what? Yeah, it's dying. The heartbeat is getting slower. It's about to have cardiac arrest. The world's heart, the arteries are getting clogged. If you look deep inside the world and you look deep into earth and you check out the heart of earth, you will notice that the arteries are getting clogged up. It's about to suffer the biggest heart attack ever. We are experiencing the end of the world. Amen? Amen. Oh, my God. <laughs> I want to get out of here. No, no. We're experiencing it. We're experiencing the end times. We really are. Study what's going on. Look what's happening right now all over the world. Look how man's knowledge is increasing in computers and technology. End times. Look how the days are coming faster. End times. Look how everything is happening around Israel in these days. End times. The Lord is coming soon, church. The trumpet is going to blow. The bride of Christ will be caught up. Will you make it? And if you look deep inside the heart of the earth, you will realize it's suffering death. It's almost there. The world is what? Passing what? Away, it says. It's passing away. 
So today, if I ask you this question, how many of you love this world? Don't love it because, listen, it's passing away. Every temptation that comes with it, it's passing away. Every beautiful building that man builds, it's passing away. Beautiful streets, beautiful plants that they build and that they plant, it's passing away. Governments that are formed, it's passing away. Everything that is inside this world is passing away. Do you get it? Do we understand that? It's not going to live. Stop right now. Some of you are saying, they've been saying that since the 60s. Stop saying that in your head. God's telling you today, it's passing away. They've been saying that since the 1980s. They've been saying that since the first church fathers. No, it's passing away. The world is slowly ending. So do not love this world. Do not love the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and do not be filled with the what? Pride of life. But he who does the will of God, what happens to him? What does verse 17 says? He who does the will of God does not what? He lives. He abides forever. Check out God. Ready? Because whatever, whatever the enemy does, God does the opposite too. Whatever God does, the enemy does opposite. The enemy wants to take over your life to what? Eventually kill you and destroy you. God wants to take over your life for what? To build you up and let you live forever. So here's scripture, and scripture says this, ready? Don't love the world. It's passing away. It's going to hell. It's gone. It's not going to be here anymore. Don't love it. Don't look at it anymore. This is what you need to understand, that if you do the will of God, then you what? You abide forever. What does that mean? You're not going to pass with the world. You will live forever. If you've seen the sandlot, there's an awesome clip in the sandlot. So how long is the ball going to stay there for? Forever. <laughs> and then you think one time they got it clear and they keep showing the clip of the kid. Forever. And that's how it is. Listen to me. If you live in Christ Jesus and you are in the center of God's will, church, how long will you live? Forever. That's right, baby. You could give God a hand for that. You will live forever if you are part of the bride of Christ. You will live forever. Don't love this world. If you're taking notes today, which you should do every Sunday, in big, bold letters, underline it, circle it, whatever you can do, write this down. Don't love this world. But there's some good things in this world. Yeah, but don't love it. Like it a little bit. Just don't love it. Don't love it. Use some of its stuff for the glory of God. But don't love it. Love the things of God better. Amen? The thing I want to talk to you today is our third road we're going to travel on. The first road we traveled on is what? Lust of the flesh. Second road we traveled on last week was? Lust of the eyes. And today we're going to go to road number three that we're going to travel on and it's titled the pride of life. Yesterday it was our brother's birthday and, and we were playing the game Jenga and Phil was there and it was my turn to play Jenga and it was getting real risky and it was about to collapse and I was looking at the Jenga thing and I said I can't lose. You guys know that. I know. My wife was after me, so I said, I got to do something hard so that she could be the one that loses. And I said, I got her again. And, and I'm about to play Jenga, and I'm grabbing a piece, and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the thing shake. And Phil says, oh, brother. And I look at Phil, and I said, oh, my God, the way God does things. And he looks at me and says, I'm preaching on pride tomorrow, and I'm about to lose. See how God deals with your character, right? And then I didn't lose, but we'll keep going. 
I want to talk to you today about the pride of life. The Greek word, if you're taking notes, write this down because it's important that you know the Greek word for pride. Here we go. 1 John chapter 2, verse one, um, chapter 1, verse 16. It says, do not love the pride of life. You know what that word pride means in Greek? Watch this. You're going to get a kick out of this one. Pretty obvious. Bro, bro, sorry, bragadocio. Bragadocio. It is the Greek word for pride. The Greek word for pride is stop bragging. <laughs> okay, I got it. Bragadocio. Where we get the word bragging from. And in here, the Bible says do not be filled with the pride of life. Do not be filled with boasting. Do not be filled with a bragging lifestyle. Always boasting about self. Man, that's the ugliest thing you could have. It's the ugliest thing. I've been around people that are not Christian. I've been around people that are Christian. Some of the most prideful people and bragging people I've met. Guess who they are? My brothers and sisters in the Lord. Don't brag. If you're going to boast about anything, don't boast about self, but boast about what? Say it with me, church, about the things of God. But don't boast about self. Don't boast about self. Don't be filled with pride. That Greek word describes it for us. And how can we ever expect the Lord to use us if we're all about self? Because the truth is we need to be delivered from self. When we looked at Eve last week, the pride of life in Eve was when she believed she would become wise like God. You dumb creation. You're so prideful that you wanted to be like God, so you took from the fruit. You so dumb, you should have not have done it. I would have been riding the line to church today. You would have seen me pulled in and perked my giraffe, sliding down its neck. But she messed it up for our creation. You guys get it, right? Okay. All right. Probably would have taken a long time to get here with a giraffe, but could have picked a different animal. A cheetah? Jaguar? I don't know. Come on, boy. The pride of life. It's vanity. It's craving for honor. It's, it's wanting applause. Did you see me today? Wasn't I anointed? No! God was anointed, not you! Man. I'll never forget, and I'll keep names to myself, visiting a church one time, speaking to a pastor of a church. I met with him after service. And almost bringing tears to my eyes. Talking about, well, God is... You know, he started the sentence with, man, God is doing great things. I, and then he started, I've done this, I've done this, I did this, I did this, I preached in front of this, I did this, I did that, I healed someone the other day, I prayed, I, 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 and I just looked at him and I went, I became a prune before the person. I was like a grape, like if you pop me, juice would have come out. But I promise you, as he began to speak to me, I became a prune. He sucked all my life out of me because everything that he talked about was, I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that and I did that and I did that. I, 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 I. And I was like, my gosh, get over yourself and get into God already. And the truth is, we better be careful and say, that's right, amen, hallelujah, come on, brother. Because we find ourselves struggling with this very same thing so often. 
It's a stubborn mindset, being prideful. A stubborn mindset that will not allow you to repent of your sins, that will not allow you to confess of your sins. For example, you got an issue with a brother or sister in the Lord? Don't say, yeah, but yeah, some of us do. Get it rid of. Deal with it. I can't. Because you're filled with pride. That's why. You have a family member you can't look at? Yeah, I don't want to even hang out with them. Why can't you look at them? Because you're filled with pride. But when we begin to deal with that, and we let God just to work, work, scrape all that pride out of our lives, we get to be a little bit like Jesus and say, hey, Judas, let me wash your feet. If I would have been there, when Jesus washed Judas' feet, I would have looked at Jesus, and right before Jesus would have washed his feet, I would have just taken three steps back, and he says, he's not going to wash his feet. As long as I'm here, he's not going to wash his feet. And I would have just said, one, two, and I would have just gone, ah, and I would have just ran and just kicked Judas right in the head. Bah! Finish him. There was no way. There was no way that I would have allowed that. But watch this. The heart of Jesus was not a prideful heart. The heart of Jesus, watch this now, was a heart about serving and loving everyone to the point of washing the betrayer's feet. There is no way that anyone will ever be able to biblically tell me that Jesus struggled with just a little bit of pride. There was nothing prideful about Jesus. Even the ones that put him on the cross, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What does that teach us about Jesus? There wasn't even a drop of pride in the man, Jesus. Amen? So in our lives, we need to deal with our pride. Satan, when we look at pride, Satan is the master of pride. And when we see the ugliness of pride in an individual's life, we see the heart of Satan. How many of you can say amen? I want to read to you how scripture in Isaiah describes prideful Satan in Isaiah chapter 14. If you could turn there, if you're writing notes, write down Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 15. Once you're there, give me an amen. amen. Thank you. Here we go. Isaiah writes, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Catch this now. How you are cut down to the ground. You who what? Weaken the nations. Now I want you to see what he is about to describe. For you have said in your heart... Pride starts right there in the center of the being. Now watch this. Notice, remember what I said about the individual that kept saying, I, 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 I did, I. Look what Satan did in his heart. Be careful. Examine your vocabulary. Examine your voice. Examine when you speak to people. If you're using a lot of I's in your sentences, he is missing. Notice how Satan is described. Ready? This is what you said in your heart. Ready? I will ascend into heaven. No, you won't, sucker. No. I don't know how she translates that into Spanish, but I will exalt my throne. I, I'm going to get to heaven. I'm going to be above heaven. I'm going to what? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that God brings down and God what? Lifts up. Who do you think you are, Satan, to say that you're going to exalt your throne? No one exalts himself. God is the exalter. He is the one that exalts us. I will exalt my throne. 
I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Keep going. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Watch what he says next. Blasphemy from the mouth of Satan. I will be like the most high. Oh my God, Satan. People always ask me, well, do you think that if Satan asks for forgiveness, you know, because God is also a forgiving God, that I go, listen, Satan is not going to ask for forgiveness, and Satan already did something that is beyond, 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 beyond what he could even be forgiven because he is just a plain old sucker. He wants to be like the most high God. What does that teach us about pride? When we are prideful people and putting pride in our lives, we are putting things and we're trying to put things higher than God. And here is Satan, and he says, I will be like the most high. And look how he ends it off on verse 15. He says this, ready? Hey, hey, hey I understand I, 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 you want to do a lot of stuff, but I'm going to tell you right now what you're going to do. Now watch this in verse 15. This is what you're going to do, ready? Yet you shall be brought down to hell, to the lowest depths of hell. That's awesome. You should be brought down to hell to the lowest part of the pit. Oh, I, I, I. Take your miniskirt off because you're going straight to hell is what he's telling Satan. You're going to hell. And not only are you going to go to hell, but watch this, ready? You're going to the deepest parts of hell, Lucifer. And if you could hear me today, Satan, you've lost. You've lost. You've lost. You've lost. If there's someone right now that's going through a problem in their marriage, Satan lost. If there's someone right now that's filled with addictions, Satan lost. If there's someone right now that's filled with anger and bitterness, Satan lost. Satan lost. You can't say that. Yes, I can. Because I remind them what Isaiah says. You will be thrown into hell. And not only hell, but the deepest parts of hell. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo. You're done. You're messed up. You can't get me. You can't touch me. I'm too hot to handle. I'm too cold to hold. I praise Jesus Christ. And I stand courageous and bold. You're going to the deepest parts of hell. You're going to hell. I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm talking to Satan. He's going to hell. I want to make sure I make that clear. My God, this guy kept telling me I'm going to hell. Satan's going to hell. Why do you keep mentioning that? Get delivered from the one who's already conquered. How can the enemy have victory over our lives if Scripture declares that we are more than conquerors over him? I don't get it. Luke 18, verse 14, says this. For everyone who exalts himself will be, say it with me, church. But you see, I want to make sure you're reading the same Bible I'm reading. For everyone who exalts himself will be, Okay, we'll do it again. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. That's a big scripture. Humbled. Stop exalting because you're going to get humbled. Well, how are you going to humble me? I don't even want to get into that. Because God could humble us in many ways with many different circumstances. God could really humble us really good. He's really good at doing that. Trust me. Don't let him humble you. It's one of the most. It is the heart. Oh, my goodness. Just don't do it. Don't get humbled by God. Deal with it right now before God humbles you. Before God humbles you. Look at all the kings that God humbled. Placed them before their own people. 
This is how humble. Look at Jezebel. She fell, and dogs ate her. God will humble you. God will find a way to humble those that exalt themselves. But I love the next, the B part of this verse. But he who humbles himself, he who humbles himself, that person will be what? Exalted. Yes. I love that scripture. I've preached on it before here. When you come into an assembly, when you come into an assembly, don't sit in the front seat like if you're something. I'm not saying no, when you come, in church it's opposite. When you come to church, sit in the front, amen? But <laughs> it's a story that Jesus is making a point, a parable. And he says in this parable, don't come to the front and sit yourself in the seat of honor, like if you deserve an honorable position. But instead, what does Jesus say? Sit in the back in the lowliest seat so that man could go and get you and honor you before the people and sit you in the front. Uh, in church, trust me, sit in the front, and then if you're out of order, then we'll move you to the back. It's totally different in church. But, but <laughs> sit in the front next Sunday. But, but what I'm trying to tell you is Jesus is giving us a parable. Jesus is giving us a story. He says, humble yourself back there. Watch this now. So you could be exalted up here. Humble yourself up here. Before I put to you to shame back there. I mean, this is serious stuff. I'm going to talk to the, can I talk to the ministers of God really quick in the church? So everyone's a member and not a minister. Just stay put for a second, ready? We'll get back to you guys. But ministers of this church, whether you play, sing, dance, whatever you do, translate, whatever it is that you do in this church. Whether you usher, clean bathrooms, whatever you do here. Whatever high position you have here. Because every position of servanthood is a high position in Christ. Amen? Listen to me. Humble yourself up here. Humble yourself up here. Humble yourself in here. Humble yourself in your closet. Humble yourself in your private life so that he could then exalt you up here. Well, why does so-and-so and why is this? Why are you asking? Humble yourself. You guys get me? It's very very important that we get this method. God is calling us, calling us to be humbled. We need deliverance from the pride of life. How many of you can say amen? This is where we think that our mind, this is where we think in our mind that we are of a great importance. And we know very clear in Proverbs chapter 16 that when pride occurs, it leads to what the scripture teaches us, destruction. I want to read a, a story to you, and I'm going to kind of like jump in so we don't have to read it all, figure out how we're going to do this. But if you could turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 20. And I want to teach you something very important about these spirits that we fight against. Mark chapter 5, amen? We're going to talk about the demon-possessed man who was healed. Please do not miss the, the message behind, behind this story that the Bible teaches us here that occurred when Jesus was doing miracles in his ministry. Watch this. And I'm going to read fast. Then they came to the other side of the sea, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with a what? Unclean spirit. Good. Who had, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. Look at verse 4, okay? And the chains had been pulled apart by who? By him. He was so strong because he was so demented, so filled with demons and spirits, that he was able to rip the chains off. And the chains had been pulled apart by him. The shackles were what? Broken in what? 
That's awesome, man. That's an awesome verse. What does that teach us about demons and Satan? They're very what? You can say that. Powerful. Yes, they are. They're powerful. They're no joke. When I said, Satan, you're going to hell, be careful when you say that. You better be covered with the blood of the lamb. Amen? He's no joke. He's serious. Now watch this. The shackles broken in pieces, neither can anyone tame him, control him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, and he was crying out. And what was he doing? He was cutting himself with stones. Kind of like back to Elijah with the prophets of Baal cutting themselves before the, before the altar. Oh, God, listen to me. Cutting. We even see about cutting here. How still today, a huge thing that's still happening in young people and even old people is they cut themselves. That is demonic. And we need to help people that are going through that and show them that in Jesus, they don't need to cut. That Jesus loves them the way they are. That they don't need to harm their body. Jesus loves them just the way they are. We see that right here in this scripture. Verse 6, are we there? When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he began to worship him because guess what? Even the demons worship God because God is too powerful. And he cried out with a loud voice and he says, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Very quick, you know this is not the man speaking. Because how? First, he acknowledges Jesus, and he gives him his title. Son of the Most High God, Jesus Christ, what do you want from me? It was what was inside of him that was speaking out of him. Now watch this. Jesus looks at him and says, oh, sorry. The guy says, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. The demons inside the man were saying, please do not torment us, God. Why? Because God is all-powerful. Listen, it's better that you stand today on God's side than on Satan's side. It's better today that you stand on holiness rather than on sin. Why? Because holiness is better. Holiness is greater. Righteousness is better. Trust me, we win at the end. We're more powerful. We're greater because of the atonement, because of the blood of the Lamb. And here, the enemy says, please don't torment me. Look at verse 8. And he said, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And you know that he's what? Screaming at him. People say, why do you scream so much? Because Jesus screamed all over the Bible. Okay? That's a scream, guys. You unclean spirit, get out, is what Jesus is saying. And then he asked, what's your name? And the man said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Remember, this is not the man speaking. This are, these are the spirits that are speaking through the man. Now watch. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out to the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, and all the demons began to beg Jesus, send us to the pigs. Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And watch what Jesus does. And at once, Jesus gave them permission. And the unclean spirits went out, entered the swine. And there was about 2,000 pigs. The herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea. They drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled. A lot of people always ask me this. Why would Jesus do that? You don't know who the owners of those swine were. Maybe Jesus wasn't happy with their lifestyle. So he made sure that he humbled their work of their hands. We don't know. But let's keep going back to the scripture. And the herd ran. Okay, we already read that. Verse 15. Then they came to Jesus. They saw the one who had been demon-possessed, who had the legion, sitting 
watch this, and clothed. He wasn't naked anymore. And he was in his what? Right mind. He wasn't crazy. He wasn't a little. Mira el loco. No, he wasn't loco anymore. He had his right mind. Now it says here, and they were afraid, and those who saw it told them how it happened, and who had been demon-possessed, and about the swine, they began to plead with him to depart. Jesus, get out of here. Get out of here. You're scaring us. Because, can I, can I share something real quick? Because when the move of God starts to take place and the spirit begins to manifest and people get to get filled with the gifts and the move of the spirit, people start getting scared, point fingers at the church, say they're heretics, they're crazy, and they begin to move away from the glory of God. Kind of reminds us of the children of Israel. Oh, my God, I can't take that glory. Moses, you speak to, to God, and we'll stay back here, and you tell us what God says. Why? You should have gone in when God was doing miracle signs and wonders and miraculous stuff. And this is what's happening here. Get out, get out, get out. Why? Why? If my glory is filling your city, why do you want me to get out? We do that in church. We do that. When God starts moving, we allow the enemy to come, lie to us, to stop the move of God in individuals' lives. When he got into the boat, the demon-possessed man begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus didn't permit him, but he said, go home to your friends. Tell them of the great things. What was Jesus doing? You're a preacher now, buddy. You can't follow me anymore. Go preach the gospel. Go tell everyone what I did for you. Jesus didn't only, watch this, change his life, but Jesus did what? Catch this. You're missing some very sound biblical principles here. Jesus not only transformed his life, but Jesus what? Commissioned his life. Write this down in your notes. Jesus doesn't only change you, he commissions you. Awesome, awesome, awesome lesson. He says, you're set free, now go preach to your friends of what I've done to you. And he departed. And what did he do? He began to, what does it say? Say it nice and loud. What does that verse say? He began to proclaim. All that Jesus had done, and everyone marveled. How many of you here, really quick, has God done an amazing work in your life? Just raise your hand. I want to make sure. Amen. Give God a hand for that. Wow. So God, we could say amen to this, right? God has changed you. Good. But don't forget, after change comes commissioning. So if God has done a wonderful work in your life and you all said amen right now, where's the commission over your life? Are you doing the same thing that this man did, the demon-possessed man? He was changed, which led him to be commissioned, sent out to tell everyone about what Jesus has done in their life. So now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one, but how many of you are following the second part? After the change comes the commission. And please don't raise your hand. How many of you have been commissioned out and are doing it fully? Now, what do we learn here about demons? First thing, ready? I'm going to teach you something really quick about demons. We don't know too much about demons in the Bible. We don't know too much about their origin. We don't know too much. A lot of pastors preach a lot of other things about Nephilims and all that. I'm not going to preach to you today on that because the Bible is not 100% clear. I'm just going to show you what the Bible teaches us about demons. Here it is. Demons are spirits. And spirits long to be in what? Bodily form. They long to possess and take hostage a bodily form. Why? Because if the spirit has a bodily form, then guess what? The spirit could then manifest himself through that bodily form. Amen? You guys got that? That is why scripture teaches us that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are now the dwelling place, the house of the Spirit of God. Why? Because now he, because he is spirit, catch this now, 
He longs, spirit longs to be in body, so that what? That the Holy Spirit, who is spirit, longs to be in our body, who is flesh, that he could be what? Manifest and show his glory through our lives. But the problem is, many of us do not allow the Holy Spirit to take our bodies hostage to manifest and to show the glory of God, but instead we live in sin, which is, which is manifesting things of evil, which is bringing forth glory to Satan rather than glory to God. So what do we learn about demons? They're spirits. They want to get in a body. Why? So they could manifest their own power, their own glory, so that eventually they could do what? Take us to the swine of pigs. Don't send us back to the country. What was the reason? What did the pigs do? They ran past the cliff, and what did they do? They fell in the water, and they all what? Drowned, meaning they were all what? Killed. What does Satan plan over people's lives? To take your form, to take your body, to take your mind, to take your soul, to destroy it, destroy it, destroy it, destroy it, till eventually you're dead, you're no more, and you cease to exist here on earth and for the glory of God. You guys are catching this? So what happens here with this man is this. He was filled, he was held hostage by demonic spirits until the Holy Spirit took over his life and he began to preach the gospel of Christ. I'm here to tell you today that when we have pride of life in our hearts, we're opening up the door for the enemy to come in. We're opening up the door for Satan to come and take home and hostage because nowhere in Scripture... Does it declare to us to have a little bit of pride? Our pride, our boasting, our screaming, our hallelujahs are never about self. They're always about, say it with me, church, God. So when we begin to boast up self and we begin, we begin to become prideful, the enemy begins to take hostage and home in our lives and we begin to manifest the wrong spirit behind our work. So today, if you find yourself defeated, if you find yourself broken, if you find yourself pushed aside, if you find yourself casted out, I have an awesome scripture for you that I love to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, all the way to verse 12. And I'll say it again, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. And I promise you, we're almost kind of done. Here we go. But we have this treasure in our earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Ready? Whose power do you manifest? God's and now who? Us. Don't miss this pride of life. We are what? Say it with me. Don't say it with me. We are hard pressed on every side, but yet we are not what? Crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not what? In despair. We are persecuted, but we are not what? Yes, we are struck down, but we are not what? Good. Watch this. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus and the life of Jesus so that it could be what? Manifested in our body. You catch this? It's not about you. It's about him who conquers all things. And as he lives in you, you manifest the glory of God. This is awesome. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus. That the life of Jesus may also be what? Manifested. Here it is again. So then death is working in us, but life is working what? In you. As long as there is pride in our lives, 
Jesus will not be manifested in our body. How many of you could say amen? Destroy your life, destroy your pride, because God will not honor your life. Destroy your pride. The glory of God will not be revealed through you if there is pride. Well, that's not fair. Well, of course it is, because he doesn't need our wisdom. He doesn't need our strength. He doesn't need our might. He doesn't need man's planning. He doesn't need our cameras and our lights and our smoke machines. All that God needs is a vessel, a willing heart, a humbled individual who will not take his own little resume to God's work, but that is empty-handed and is wanting nothing but the glory of God to be manifested through him. Many people come to churches with their resume. Look what I can do and look what I've done for God. And God says, I could care less about what you can do. I want to know what I can do through you. Okay. Amen. Next thing I want to share with you really quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. Here we go. I'm flying through the ending. Here we go. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise are according to the flesh, not many mighty or noble are called, but God has chosen, say it with me, the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things in this world to put to shame the mighty and the base things, the things that are despised, God has chosen. How many of you can say amen? The things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and what? Redemption. That it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. What do you see in this scripture? It's never about us. It's always about him. Could it be what's holding us back? Is that we want to take some of what we have and some of what we are to what all of he wants. And it's not going to work that way. The Lord will never and does not want to use you if there is pride in your life. Think about it. If you were Jesus, who you would have picked as your disciples? The Pharisees. Heck yeah. I would have just changed their lives and their hearts. He said, no, I don't want the Pharisees. I would have picked the rich young ruler. Why not? Come. God doesn't want that. But instead, he would pick. He picks a zealot, lowly fisherman, hatred and despised tax collector, murderers, prostitutes, etc., thieves on the cross. He picks the unworthy because he understands that his glory, that his name, it would be difficult to be lifted up in the midst of prideful people who had their achievements to offer. But he looks and he chooses those who stand bare with nothing but themselves to offer up to his service. And that's what God looks for. Acts chapter 2, verse 39. It says, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far, far off. As many as the Lord our God will call. Watch John 10.10. 10. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Watch what Jesus says. But I have come that you may have life, and that you may have life more what? Abundant. God has a promise for the church today. And if you're sitting here today, God has more for you. And I want you to write this down in your notes or whatever you're taking notes. Put, because in Jesus you could do this. Believe in yourself that there is more for you. See, when we are bound by the devil, we're not living in abundance. And God wants to deliver you and have you experience life and life more abundantly. What am I trying to tell you? Deliverance today, it's for you. And this is the last message that we're going to talk about in deliverance. 
Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's it, man. Trust in God. Have faith. Rely and hope on God. Trust is learning how to lean and depend upon Jesus. Knowing that he's going to provide. Job says something very powerful. He says, though you slay me, yet I will continue to trust in you. Can you imagine that? You're sick in your bed, filled with cancer. Your bones are being teared up. And you're in your bed, you're about to die, and you say this, though I'm dying, I still trust in Jesus. That's crazy. But that's what God wants. Staying delivered is trusting in God. Keeping our mind on, on Jesus. Never give up. Never yield to temptations. Never yield to the pride of life. Whether it's thinking of yourself as being of some great importance, or maybe you think of yourself as worthless today. Never yield to that mindset. Never submit to that mindset. Never submit to those weaknesses. Isaiah 54, 17, that no weapon formed against you shall what, church? Prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall what? Condemn. You know what that means? You know what that means? One day you'll speak against every single person that spoke bad against you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. That their righteousness is from me. See, if we walk in the spirit and we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh, if we do not fall victim to the pride of life, if we do not give to the lust of, of the eyes, then we'll remain delivered. Amen? Amen. Psalms 51, 17 says, and I'm ending with describing what broken is. It says, the sacrifices of God are a what spirit? Say it with me, church, because I'm going to end with this and I want to make sure you get this. The sacrifices of God are a what? Broken spirit. Today, if you sit here, I pray that you are a sacrifice of God. And to be a sacrifice of God, you got to have a broken spirit. Now watch this. A broken and what? Contrite heart. And these, O oh God, you will not despise. You know what that word broken means? The Hebrew word is shabar. And that word broken, catch this now. And, and follow this. The sacrifices of God are a, ready? That word broken means, are a burst, are a crushed into pieces, destroyed and shattered spirit and heart. Why share this verse? Because right now, as we get ready to end this service, this is what I want to share with you. This is, where we must be before God. We must be a broken people so that God can use us to our fullest. If we have not been shattered and broken into pieces, then God will never be able to use you to the fullest. Did you understand what I just said? Let it rain. Watch this now. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain. Are you sure? Let it rain. Are you sure? Open the floodgates of heaven. Are you sure? Because when the rain falls from heaven and he breaks you into pieces and he shatters you and he starts anew, are you sure? Are you sure that you want today God to do that miracle in your life.
God wants you to have a broken, shattered heart and spirit so that he could use you. All this to end with this. We have a job to do, a work to do. And this is what Paul says to Timothy. But the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of lions. Verse 18, and the Lord will deliver me from every work and he will preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. And the church says, Amen. Amen. Catch what Paul is saying here. I was broken and I was shattered, but God gave me victory. He allowed me to persevere so that I could preach the gospel in its fullness. If you have pride of life today and you need to be delivered from pride of life, let's shatter it right now. Now, now. Burst it. Pop. Pop it. Break it. We're going to worship the Lord today. How many of you know that song? Take me in to the holy of holies. Have you heard that song? Take me in by the blood of the Lamb. That's what we're going to sing today. And today as you come into the holy of holies and to the blood of the Lamb, let him take over. Let him reign. Let him shatter into pieces. And let him transform you forever. I'm going to ask you to stand up with me and we're going to worship for a little bit. If you need prayer today as we end, the altar is open right now.